My name is Wes, pastor of Student Ministries here at North. So Student Ministries, you will be in here with us uh, today. Glad to uh, be up here sharing with you uh, this morning just to get something off my chest. First and foremost, everyone needs to know in the room with March Madness in my own home of six people. After the first round, I was tied for last place. <laughs> and my uh, seven and nine-year-old sons who did a bracket together uh, we're in first place. So they've never seen a game in their life. I love March Madness. And I just needed you guys, I need to confess and let you guys know uh, that was going on. Uh, Larry is in, Larry and Jenna are in Chicago with their son Josh and at their church this morning, hanging out with uh, family. And so I get the chance to be up here. Uh, we're in the book of Mark, and this is a series that will lead us right into the Easter season. These are significant stories about the life of Jesus, you know, Jesus being the single most important person who has ever lived or will live. So it stands to reason as Christians, as Christ followers, we would want to know as much as possible about him and as much as possible about the people who spent the most time with Jesus, like Mark. Last week, Larry taught uh, from Mark 5, and there's two stories of healing that he talked about with Jairus and his daughter who was dying and ultimately did die and Jesus brought her back from the dead. You know, Jairus was a, the significant person. And then you had the unsignificant person, the nameless woman who had a bleeding issue that he also healed. And Larry left us with this a great quote that challenged me. He said, as, as we approach Jesus, we always give up more than expected and we always get more than we expected. Today we're going to look at Mark 6, 30 through 52, and these are, you know, if you've been in the church for a while, these are fairly familiar passages. Um, they may be familiar to you as well, maybe not, but it's the context in which these uh, miracles happen that just jumped off the pages at me as I was preparing and hopefully you'll see that today as well. I'm calling today's message, A Follower's Faith. So let's take a look at the passage as a follower of Jesus and see what he revealed to his followers then and see what he wants to reveal to us today. Some of you in the room may say, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus currently, or you may say, I'm a follower, but I'm not doing so well. Regardless of where you're at right now, I hope, the, the Spirit will speak to each of us um, exactly where we're at and uh, share with us this morning. So let's let the Holy Spirit do what He does. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you meet each of us this morning exactly where we're at. Reveal um, to us who you are, more of who you are, so we can understand who we are in light of you. Thank you for being here. In your name, amen. So a follower's faith is not just a cognitive faith, not just a cognitive, you know, I know this to be true, I know this to be true in my head and in my heart, but it's also an act of the will, an active faith. Because this is true, I will act. As followers of Jesus, we're required to have a faith, and our faith or our lack of faith will always be revealed in our actions. Proverbs says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. James says, our faith without actions is dead. Hebrews says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Colossians says, whatever you do, do unto 
the Lord. Our actions will reveal our faith. Here's an illustration to help show what kind of faith that we're talking about today. I don't know about you, but there's times I'm in a service like this and the lights go dark and you watch this great movie illustration and you kind of hope that the lights stay down and pop some popcorn and continue on. <laughs> but instead, you'll get to hear me talk. So a follower's faith can look a lot like this. It's a decision or a step of faith. It looks blind, it looks scary, it's, you're not sure what the future holds. But there's sometimes we get to look back on those steps of faith that we take, like he does here, he throws the dirt and the sand and you kind of get to see a glimpse of where God brought you from. Sometimes we get to see that and know why he did what he did. Sometimes we don't, but the future is always unclear, it's always uncertain and that's where those steps of faith come in. So I'm going to read for you the first verse of our passage today, and then I'm going to go back and give you the context from which we are looking at this verse, because I think the context today changes the story, at least it did in my mind. It reveals something different about Jesus. So it says here in Mark 6:30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught, told him everything. So when I read a passage like this, it, you know, it always kind of begs me to you know, wonder, like, what is all? What are they telling him? What are they saying to Jesus? What are the things that they taught and did? And what is this all that they're saying? So we're going to go back and look at the beginning of Mark, and we're going to see what they're talking with Jesus about. And it will inform us of you know, what happens after that, and it's fascinating what we see in Mark 6. 
So back to the beginning of the chapter, and again, we're taking a look at a familiar passage today, two miracles of Jesus, but it's the context around it that gives us the impact today. First, we see verses 1 through 6. It says, Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. So Jesus goes home, if you will, to an area where uh, people knew who he was. They knew his mom, his dad, his profession, his dad's profession, his siblings, his friends, you know, what he did when he had some free time. So Jesus is back here, and he's teaching, and he's sharing, and he is Jesus, but yet he's rejected. They have unbelief. They, they, they do what you know, we would normally do with someone, right? We kind of have some experiences. We know a few things about them. We may know their family. We may know their profession. And so we kind of box people into this. Well, this is who someone is. That's what they're doing with Jesus here. They rejected him because they knew him from before. Now, this, could this be the son of God? I mean, really? So he was rejected and his disciples are with him, too. They're seeing this happen. They're, they gave up everything. They're following Jesus, and they're in this town, and he's rejected. There's unbelief. That had to have been a time of just kind of unsettling. Why is he rejected? Why is there unbelief? Is he who he says he is? Jesus had emotion. We don't typically think about Jesus as having much emotion or maybe Maybe you do, but I don't typically think of him that way. It must have been disappointing to Jesus. Going back home, he's teaching, they are not accepting, they're rejecting him. Even though Jesus is fully God, he's also fully man. He sleeps, he eats, he cries, he laughs, he gets angry, he has friends, he has best friends. This must have been a confusing time emotionally for Jesus, the man. Yet, he and his disciples continue on in faith with what he is called to do and keeps teaching and loving people. So that happened. Jesus, his disciples go to Nazareth. They're rejected. Interesting time. And then we have verses 7 through 13. Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and he gives them interesting instructions, okay? So the ministry is beginning now for Jesus and the disciples, and this is the first time Jesus sends his disciples out without him. Okay, and as we look at this passage, you may hear the word apostles, and you may hear the word disciples. Uh, that's the same group of people, and you may wonder, you know, why distinguish between, why call them apostles at some point and disciples at a different point? Well, this is the 12, you know, Peter, James, John, those guys. This is the 12 disciples. Disciple means to study or to follow, so they're students of Jesus. But when the disciples are sent out to become messengers, then they are the apostles, because apostle means messenger. So they're referring to the same group here, but when, they're, when they use the word apostle, that's them giving the message. That's when they're out being messengers. So he sends them out for the very first time. So imagine yourself, disciple. You've seen some cool things, but Jesus kind of did most everything. And now you're going out. But he, he gives them interesting instructions. He says, um, go out two by two. Okay, so they're in pairs. They're not by themselves. They're they're in pairs. Um, they're supposed to go without their second tunic. Apparently they wore two tunics at that time. I don't know why. 
sure there's a good reason. Uh, no money, no food, no extra anything. They were basically to go with the clothes on their back in groups of two. Why? Why does Jesus do that? Why send them out in you know, small groups? Why have them take nothing? And I think it's because Jesus is asking his disciples to be relational. He's forcing them to be relational. You are going to go in groups of two. You're going to be in relationship with this person that you're with. And you're going to be dependent on the people around you. As you travel, as you teach, as you're hanging out with people, you're going to be dependent on the people, the community around you. And Jesus also gave them another interesting instruction. He said, when you're in a village and you're teaching and you stay in that village, stay in the same home the whole time you're there. And why does he do this? This is also, I think, because Jesus wants them, needs them to be relational. If, if you're in a village and you stay with the same group the whole time you're there, you're breaking bread with them, you're sleeping with them, you know, you're cleaning up messes with them, you're helping prepare things, you build a level of trust with that family. And how much w- would that impact have on the rest of the village? I see these guys teaching, I see them saying things, I see them even doing some healing, which is crazy. But at the same time, do we know them? Well, yes, there were people who knew them. And part of the reason I think Jesus had them give them these instructions to be relational is because then he also gives them this instruction. He says, if there are people with unbelief, dust your feet off and move on as a testament against their unbelief. Now, we don't, I don't typically think of Jesus as the dust your feet off kind of guy, but this is the instructions that he gives his disciples. And Jesus is starting to distinguish between people who believe and people with unbelief. So they are to dust their feet off. Now, now why? But, you know, so he's distinguishing between them, and it also gives the disciples freedom, right? It gives them freedom to, I I have to convince this person, no. They would continue to spread the seed of the gospel, and the seed would fall on the good soil as they would continue on. Now, some people would use this dust your feet off as an excuse to be mean or to uh, proclaim loudly against a certain group of people or to even walk the streets proclaiming Jesus or damnation. I'm not quite sure that's what Jesus is intending here because, one, this is exactly what Jesus told them to do. So they're following what Jesus instructed them to do. Also, the apostles' ministry, again, was relational. They were dependent on their community. They lived in their homes while they were there. Those people trusted them. So when they spoke, they spoke out of a trusting relationship. When they dusted their feet off, people wouldn't see that as, well, you know, they're just being mean. No, they're, they're taking a stance in who Jesus is and belief and unbelief. Many people responded to the disciples at that time. Definitely not everyone. But they healed people, they anointed people, they cast out evil spirits. Amazing. First time they're sent out, these things are happening. Amazing things in the power of Jesus. They also, though, dusted their feet off at times because of unbelief. So you have these two things going on. Jesus rejected in Nazareth. The disciples are seeing that. Jesus is seeing that. They have their own reactions 
to what those things are. And then you, he, he sends out his disciples two by two. There's some success. There's some failure. And then you have this, the story of the death of John the Baptist. Okay, so King Herod, the king, all right, King Herod thinks that John the Baptist, whom he just killed, is this Jesus guy walking around. Herod killed John the Baptist, and he's hearing all these stories about Jesus going around, all the miraculous things and the wisdom and the healings, and so he thinks in his mind that must be John the Baptist who has risen from the dead. This is cra- these are crazy times. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Okay? You're rejected in Nazareth. Your disciples are going out. There's some belief. There's some unbelief. And then you hear that the king thinks you are the person that he just killed and is now alive. That's got to be at least unsettling that the king who just killed someone now thinks you're that person. Wouldn't you think there's a, you know, people are out to look for you? Wouldn't you think that they're going to come and take you down like they did before? Imagine the disciples. You know, the King Herod thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist who he just killed. So here's a few things going on here. The king who just beheaded someone thinks you're that guy. That's scary. The second thing about this, the way that John the Baptist died is awful. It's scandalous, actually. It's rated R or worse, okay? If there was a movie made about it, King Herod's daughter-in-law hated John the Baptist because he spoke out against her unlawful marriage. But King Herod revered John the Baptist. He respected him. He knew he was wise, so he's caught in the middle. So the short version is King Herod's daughter-in-law's daughter, so King Herod's granddaughter, seduces King Herod in a drunken, seductive dance. Him and his guests, and King Herod grants her any wish that she desires. And ultimately that wish was the head of John the Baptist. A scandalous, sinful, and sad story. And the third thing is, the disciples and Jesus are just now hearing about the death of John the Baptist. Just now, this, this is happening right now. <clears throat> These are the guys who followed Jesus before they fo- or followed John the Baptist before they followed Jesus. They knew John. Jesus and John were friends. Jesus and John were relatives. Remember, John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth, and Mary comes in with Jesus in her womb, and what happens? John the Baptist jumps. He leaps. John the Baptist paved the way. There's a crazy connection between John and Jesus, and Jesus and his disciples are just now hearing the way that he was beheaded and the circumstance around that. What? That's crazy. So when you come to the passage and it says the apostles share all that they had taught, all that they had done, everything going on, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about, Jesus, why were you rejected in Nazareth? I don't really get that. I I thought you're like something special. And okay, I believe in you, but I'm struggling with this. And then we went out and we did some awesome things, but some people didn't believe in us. And now we hear about our friend, our beloved John the Baptist, killed. 
what is going on? And they're sad. And they're confused. And there are crowds that will not leave them alone. Everywhere they go. They can't get away from these crowds. I don't know about you, every now and then you need a little alone time. You need some privacy. The crowds are around them all the time. So this is where we find ourselves when we come to the feeding of the 5,000. This is the context in which we find ourselves. You know, sometimes I'm... I spill on my shirt in the morning when I have breakfast and it sends like the next few hours of me into a frazzle. I'm just like, ah. Much less what's going on in these guys' world. They're following Jesus. He's rejected. There's unbelief. John the Baptist is dead. You know, is the king Herod after us? This is the context that we find ourselves in. So verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, not even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus' immediate response to the apostles coming and sharing all that had happened, rejection, Belief, unbelief, hearing of John the Baptist. His immediate response was to rest. Yet the only rest that they got actually was in the boat because they took this short boat ride and the crowd met them on the other side. Was it restful? Sure, for a little bit, but it was very short. It's like a three-minute nap. You just wake up from your three-minute nap and you're more irritated than when before you fell asleep. Maybe you're taking a three-minute nap right now. <laughs> Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. So another immediately we find here. Immediately on the shore after a short rest, after all that's happening in their world, they see the crowds on the other side and Jesus has compassion on them. That is amazing. After all that he and his disciples are going through, he still has the heart and the faith to have compassion. And it gets even later, and the disciples, so this is my words of how the disciples said this. The disciples say to Jesus, Yo, Jesus, buddy, old pal, get rid of these people and tell them to go get their own food. Verse 37, But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, oh yeah, shall we buy you know, 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So Jesus' response to their you know, concern of send them out to find food for themselves, he said, you, take care of them. And then they give him a sarcastic response, which I love because I have conversations with the Spirit 
where I express my thoughts, my feelings, and at times, sarcasm, you know, frustration. The Spirit always responds perfectly. Their response sarcastically is, oh yeah, we're just going to grab 200 denarii and buy food for all of them, which would have been over $10,000 cash at that time. They didn't have $10,000 cash, so they re, you know, responded sarcastically, oh yeah, sure, Jesus, we'll just take this money and go buy everything. And he says, go and see how much food you have. That must have sounded ridiculous to them. First of all, they're like, Jesus, why do you want to know what food I have? This is my food. You just said that, right? Or it's like, okay, what if I bring my food to you? What are you going to do with that? There's, there's 10,000 people out there. There's 5,000 men, and then there's the women and children. There's 10,000 people. What are you going to do with my food? 39. Then he commanded them, the crowds, all to sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. We have this miracle where Jesus takes a small amount of food, gives thanks, and asks his, his Father to bless it. And his Father goes beyond imagination and understanding, and they feed 10,000 or so people, and they have leftovers. The feeding of the 5,000. What is the context of the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus is rejected. The disciples are sent out. Some believe and some do not. Miracles happen. The gospel is shared, but they hear that their relative and friend, John the Baptist, horrible death. Jesus and his disciples are having emotions and feelings all over the board. Tired, sad, scared, confused, angry, hungry, encouraged, excited, anxious, followed around by this huge crowd. Miracles are happening, many people doubt, many people believe, and the disciples keep following Jesus and talking with him and processing the good and the bad. And Jesus keeps doing what Jesus does, is following his Father, being led by the Holy Spirit, and loving people. So did Jesus do an amazing miracle by feeding the 5,000 and provide to hungry people out of compassion. Yes, we see that in the passage. Did Jesus reveal his power to the crowd by turning a little bit of food into a lot of food in front of the masses? Yes, another amazing miracle. I also think that Jesus, in his own sadness and emotional state, and looking at his disciples... their confusion, their anger, wanted to see the power of his father. He was hungry, he was tired, and he knew that his father gives good gifts. They were desperate, they were hungry, they were tired. I mean, think about it. How many times were the hungry crowds around Jesus in his ministry? Almost every day. This miracle could have happened almost every day. 
maybe not 10,000 people, but maybe 2,000 people, maybe 500 people. Jesus could have done this miracle every day, but he only does it twice. He does it here in this passage, and then a couple chapters later we see in Mark 8. He could have done it every day, but he didn't. But why now? I think the needs of the crowd was part of it. I think the Spirit's leading was part of it. I think the Father's blessing over them was part of it. I think the needs of the disciples was part of it. But I also believe that the desires of Jesus played a part of it. And how awesome is that? How awesome is it that we have a God who knows sadness and anger and contentment and joy and hunger and desperation and he can understand how we feel? There are many times when this wouldn't have been a good idea. Jesus was in the desert. The evil one is tempting him. That would have been to show off to the evil one or to give in to a temptation. The Pharisees challenged him to do something similar. He did not do it then. This is not out of a, I'm going to show you. This is out of Jesus the man who needed his father's help and encouragement. Jesus loves to meet us right where we are at because Jesus was met where he was at by his father and right now Jesus understands you and he understands me more than we will ever comprehend in the next few verses we see more immediately again immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd and after he had taken leave of them he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So another immediately, right after the feeding of the 10,000 people or so, in the context of being rejected and faith and, and unbelief and hearing of John the Baptist and you know, Jesus' Father blessing them and, and doing this awesome miracle, then Jesus says, Go, be away alone. I'm going to go be away alone. It's time for a party. We just fed 10,000 people. Like, crank up the music. It's time to dance. It's time. Now's the time to preach, right? That you just did this awesome thing. Now share about God or high fives or something. But no, Jesus' immediate response is go, rest, be with the Father, and I'm going to do the same. Jesus' closeness with his Father and the Spirit is perfect. His faith led him to spend time with them alone. Verse 48, And he saw that they were making headway painfully. This is the disciples in the boat. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So Jesus sees his disciples on the water, and they are getting across the water, but it's hard, it's painful. The wind is against them. They're having a hard time. 
and then he walks on the water. Pretty awesome, right? I haven't done that lately. He walks on the water, but he intended to walk past them. He didn't intend to get in the boat. Jesus was intending to walk past them to the other side. And then they start questioning and, and asking these things, and they're scared. What? Jesus intended to pass them by? Jesus must have known that they would get across the water safely because Jesus got to do that. He got to know things. So, you know, maybe that's why he intended to pass by them. Maybe he just wanted some more alone time. Or maybe he perceived what was in their hearts and he didn't want to get in the boat. And what was in their hearts, we, we find it right here. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus knew that they were confused, and he knew that their hearts were hardened against what had just happened. What? Why are their hearts hardened? Didn't they just see the feeding of 10,000? But put yourself in their, in their position. Jesus was rejected. That, that's confusing. There's belief. There's some unbelief. There's, they find out about King Herod and John the Baptist, and their friend is dead, and, and they said, send these people away, and then they you know, get fed. But then you know, they do this awesome miracle, and then Jesus says, okay, now go. And there was no party. They just had to have been like, what? I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. And so their hearts were hardened. They're kind of like us, you know, these disciples. They don't know exactly what God is doing. So they question, they complain, they doubt, they wonder, they talk amongst themselves without seeking Jesus' answer, the truth from Jesus. They're kind of like you and I. Jesus has been through all of this just like his disciples. He was fully God. He was fully man. He had his own responses to things going on. But here is where it comes to us. Like the video of Indiana Jones taking that step of faith, we are to have a faith that follows Jesus. Here's the beautiful part. Jesus was a follower of faith too. Jesus, being fully man, had to make the same decisions that we find ourselves in, with everything in life pushing around him to follow his Father's lead, follow the Spirit's guiding. Jesus, who knows us better than we know ourselves and felt the same things we feel, is our God who loves us more than we will understand. Today, I hope we have a follower's faith. A faith that no matter the circumstance or the pressure or context, that we step out with an active faith and trust Jesus. There are things for each of us today that would require our faith and our trust. So let's trust and let's trust together like his disciples, like Jesus. So we know it's not going to be perfect, right? We know it's not going to be easy or fun 
all the time. Sometimes things are going to go well in our life and in our faith, right? Sometimes they will be terrible and they will be painful. Sometimes God will intervene and make things better. But sometimes God won't intervene and make things better. But that is the life and faith that Jesus lived too. He was a follower of his Father, and we are a follower of him. That is a follower's faith. So as we learn about Jesus and his faith and his responses to things, we get a better picture of the God that we serve. And so many times in this passage, it says immediately, immediately, there was something going on, and Jesus' response was to go to his Father. So our choice then in our faith is when we have certain things, big, small, whatever it is, to find the immediately's and take it to Jesus. And the cool thing is Jesus understands already because that's the faith he lived as well, following his Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who understands us and had emotions and situations, friendships, confusing, sad, exhilarating times. And in all those moments, you chose to seek your Father's face. That is my prayer for myself, for each of us today. Lord, that you will give us the courage to take those steps and stop and look at you. In your name, amen.